So I was waking up in uh, my apartment 15 years ago. My wife and I had just been married for about a month and um, woke up. I'm assuming we were having a cup of coffee. Or I don't even know if we had had coffee yet. And we turned the TV on. And like any of you that are at least 15 years old, 16 years old, you saw images on your TV screen that didn't register correctly in your brain as you saw the events of September 11th, 2001 happen 15 years ago today. It was kind of inconceivable, but this was really happening. And, and, and not just like, is this really happening in our country? But, but I think the thing that was, was most disturbing, and even as now as you look at the um, the videos and the different things that have been out this this week and understand the commemoration of the 15th anniversary of September 11th is what was happening to people, to actual individuals. And then that day, what we saw is the realization of, of a quote that I'm going to share later today in, in, in conjunction to how it works with Jesus followers, but we saw the power of of a mission that day. And this quote by Margaret Mead, I'll apply to Jesus followers later, but this is one thing that September 11th showed us. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. That day, A small group of people changed the world because they were committed to a mission. They had a message and a method in which they took it out. And you have to be honest, in the past 15 years, what we have seen is a movement of of radical Islam that I I don't agree with their mission and I, I don't like their message. But sociologically speaking, you have to be pretty impressed with the methodology that they've been able to take this ideology and change our world. Like, our world operates differently. They have a decentralized network of people that are basically motivated and and, and organized around a vision and values. And they're really wreaking havoc across the world. But if we think about that in the context of a Jesus movement, their movement is motivated by hate and division and destruction. But could it be possible still that September 11th, 2016, that we could go forward 15 years and that, that Jesus followers could take a mission and the message of faith and hope and love of forgiveness and reconciliation and the love of God and move that message out with the same temp similar methodology and that people would say 15 years from today, the world is drastically different because of the way the followers of Jesus live and love and multiply their mission. That will be our journey today. Let's take a minute and pray. Jesus, we just, um, we take a minute this morning and um, 
Father, reality is today is that for some people woke up today, it was just September 11th and they didn't know any different. Some people woke up today and they thought, oh yeah, this is the day that that terrorist attack happened. But there's thousands and thousands of people, Father. Even I met a guy in the first service who lost his brother that day in the attacks is that they woke up today and it was a a day to remember a life and a love was lost. So Father, we pray for those families right now and ask that you would be as you are, the God of all comfort, the God of all compassion, that you would wrap your loving arms around those families, the thousands of them that have been affected, and even greater and beyond that, Father, we pray for our country. I pray, God, that um, that all followers of Jesus in this country, Father, would take seriously the mission you have given us to take your message of faith and hope and love and forgiveness to the ends of the earth. And at the result of our actions and of our love would be a change in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So underground multiplication, we're bringing this series underground Jesus to a close and we've been journeying through the book of Mark many of you I'm sure have been reading it and today we're going to look at the last few chapters right chapter 13 14 15 and 16 of the book of Mark and as I was reading through it this week it was interesting because it really brings Jesus's life to a close and then his resurrection into focus. And in these last few chapters, it's, it's really interesting because I was reading it and, and it's, it's kind of crazy. Like if we, if we kind of summarize like chapter 13, right? That's basically Jesus. There's some kind of like end times, different kind of stuff that he's kind of talking about. But the basic gist of chapter 13 is this. Like, hey, this whole deal comes to a close. So be ready, be vigilant, and, and be about God's work, Okay. And then you go into verse 14 or chapter 14, 15, and 16, and what you get is basically the last weekend, if you will, last like half week of Jesus' life, where he goes out to the garden of Gethsemane and he prays and, and comes face to face with this moment of kind of point of no return in this mission that he's on. And then he's betrayed, abandoned by his disciples. He's wrongly accused, goes through a, a junk trial. He's beaten, he's spat upon, he's mocked, he's whipped. He's taken and he's crucified on a cross and he dies. And then three days later, he comes back from the dead. And in verse 16, or chapter 16 of Mark, we see that he's resurrected and he gives these disciples the mission that we'll talk about today. But as I read it this week, I kept thinking to myself, like, man, this is really intense. Like when you look at this period of Jesus's life, what kept coming to me is like, why would Jesus go through this? Like, what? What was the vision that Jesus had or the mission he was on that that he would go through what he went through? And and, and it's interesting as you read it because you you see the the stuff that that he had to go through and you see the anguish. In just a minute, we're going to read in chapter 14 of like the anguish that he had to go through as a human being to know what he was about to have to suffer through. And I'll be honest with you, I don't enjoy suffering through much of anything, let alone 
what Jesus was about to go through. So, so what was the inward vision that Jesus had that brought him the, the actual resolve to go through? Like he had to think, right, that if I actually go through with this, it actually there's, there's a mission that I'm fulfilling that is, that is grandiose enough, that is, that is necessary enough to demand my life, to be okay to go through the suffering that I'm about to go through. It, it's, it's worth that. I'm willing to do it. And sometimes I agree with Jesus. And sometimes I get confused and forget the importance of the mission that he had. It came a little clear to me this past week. I had a mission. It wasn't quite as grandiose as Jesus, but there was suffering involved. I had to move my brother from Atlanta, Georgia to San Francisco, California. There's a lot of states in between Georgia and California. Just so you know, there's 10 of them, okay? And uh, it takes you about 38 hours on paper to drive it. If you're driving a little Penske moving truck, pulling a Jeep behind you with a dog and cat in it, it takes you about 40 hours of drive time, just so you know. If you're looking to do it, don't. I did it for you, okay? So last week, I flew into Atlanta, Georgia, got on the truck with my brother, and we drove all the way across the country. It was crazy. In the whole entire journey, we, we never actually stopped. We were driving through California, almost done. I was like, you realize that we never got in construction traffic? We never saw an accident. Like, we never stopped all the way there. It was crazy how easy the trip was. There was one stint in, in, a, in a Oklahoma where we thought we were going to die in a tornado. <laughs> that got dicey, all right? When you're driving through Oklahoma and like these clouds are coming in and like I'm like, these these don't look good, right? And then it just starts raining like crazy and the wind is blowing and all of these Oklahoma people are pulling off the side of the road. And I'm like, they must know something we don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're an Oklahoma person and you have exited the road, I'm like, maybe we should stop because we're driving a huge rectangle. They could just, right? So, but we didn't. We just slowed down. I was like, Lord Jesus, I love you, but I don't really want to meet you today, right? But we didn't die. Good, good. So, you know, so we didn't die. That was the only problem really the whole way trip. But it's interesting, my brother and I, we've been best friends for 38 years, and, and but we are polar opposites. I mean, like, Polar opposites. I talk all the time. He dislikes talking. I love people. He could do without them. Like, I mean, we just, we are so opposite in our life. It's crazy, but we balance each other, right? So our whole life, we've gotten in these great, just tug of war arguments back and forth where he thinks this and I think this. And if you have a sibling, you know that like you can really throw down with a brother or sister, right? Like you can get mad and say whatever you want. I mean, not whatever you want, but you can get real. And afterwards, the reality is if you, you know, you're still blood, right? So you're not going anywhere. So my brother and I, we had it out. I mean, we talked politics. We talked religion. We talked marriage and parenting. We talked our relationship through the years. And, and what happened was, like, most all these views, like, if I had this political view, he had that political view. If I had this view on global economy, he had that view on it. And they were polar opposites. So we are arguing aggressively over this 40-hour trip. And at the end of it, the cool part was I realized, like, you know what? He's made some good points that I didn't see. And he realized, you know what? You've made some good points I haven't seen. But here was the hopeless part for me, guys. As we started talking about the political landscape in our country and the social, economic, global problems of our world, I began to realize that even if either of us were right, that solution didn't actually solve the problems in our world. 
Like, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, or whatever it is. The views and the options that are given to us right now in our social landscape, they do not fix the problems that when you see them on on, on your newsfeed or wherever you take the the information about the world, they do not solve those problems. In fact, they're only one-sided and they may make them worse. And so I kind of found myself somewhere between like... Arizona and California starting to feel like hopeless. And then I had a thought. And I don't know if I was slightly enlightened because I was, I was just hours away from In-N-Out Burger, which could have put me in a different spiritual plane. You know what I mean? It was moved to like the fifth, fifth or sixth heaven. You know what I mean? Because, but I had this thought and when the thought came in, I didn't like the thought because it was too Sunday school. Right, you ever have a really simple idea and you're like, I don't know, I, I grew up in the church. I was a pastor's kid. And so for me, I have this kind of allergic reaction sometime to like basic Sunday school type pat answers. And I was thinking, no solution given right now to humanity from all the talking points and the different political parties and this side and that side and whatever issue, none of them solve the issue. And I thought, but there is one thing that could be a hope for all these issues. But I was like, too simple, not educated enough, too churchy to Sunday school. And then I just kept driving because that's all I had to do and thinking about it and thinking about it. And I settled in on the solution. The only hope that we have in our country or any country on this globe right now to solve any of the problems that cause pain and suffering and things that make your soul feel disgusting on this earth, the only hope this world has is the only hope it's ever had, and it's the only hope it will ever have, and it's this. It's really Sunday school. It's real basic. It's not super deep. The only hope we have is this, Jesus, right? It's the only hope we have. And so then as I'm, as I'm jumping in this week and, I, and I'm reading and I'm reading Mark, Mark 13 through 16, I realize that's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew, look, I got to go through what I got to go through because you know what? This is the only hope the world has. Because what I'm doing is not just doing some religious stuff. Like I'm not going to die right now so I can create a religion. No, the world needs less of that. I'm not doing what I'm doing so people could go to church on Sundays. I'm not doing what I'm doing so people, you know what, they could cuss less, right? I'm not doing what I'm doing so people can be moral. No, no, no. I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm going to fulfill this mission that my father has given me. There's this compelling vision that we have for what we're doing in the world. And I'm going to bring this message and I'm going to become this message of love and reconciliation and hope. And I'm going to, to bring forth this method of discipleship and reproduction that could change the world. Because here's the deal. My, the creation needs to be reconnected to God. I have to reconcile this relationship. And when human hearts experience the divine, perfect, unconditional love of their creator, something changes. They come back and into connection to what they were actually created by. And what will happen is if if that love and that faith and that hope and that relationship can be reestablished, this world has an opportunity to be changed for hope, for love. He had a mission. A mission. A mission is the outward expression of your inward vision. Jesus had a mission. There was an outward expression of his inward vision. You have to have a mission. You'll notice if you're here and you maybe feel like you should, maybe God's calling you to preach or teach. I'm going to teach you right now and train you how to teach and preach. 
If you'll notice, this sermon series is called Underground Jesus, and the sermon is called Underground Multiplication. All of the points I'm about to give you are all going to start with the letter M. All right? Mind-blowing. I know, right? So if you want to preach at some point, just take the first letter of whatever the sermon's called and have your three points be that same letter. It's massive. All right? So a little training. Teaching how to preach there. All right? So multiplication mission. Right? A mission is the outward expression of your inward vision. Jesus had a mission. He had an inward vision of this world reconciled to God. And when he had this inward vision and a mission, it was a mission that he realized was actually big enough and grand enough and great enough to give his life to. And so when he came to moments like he did in Mark 14, it gave him the resolve and the vision to be able to say things like he did. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. Remember a couple weeks ago when I preached, guys, and we talked about discipleship and how you get a small group of people and there might be some even more intimate people, right, with it? Remember we talked about that Jesus had the 12, then he had these three bros that got to hang out all the time with him? Here it is once again, right? There's 12, but he takes Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, with him. And then they totally blew it. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, here we go. And Jesus becomes deeply troubled in distress. And he tells them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Like, let's not miss the humanity of Jesus in this moment. Like, Jesus didn't make it to the cross and fulfill his mission because he sprinkled some special Jesus fairy dust on himself. Right? There were moments, and this is a moment in Mark chapter 14, where he did not want to do what he had to do to fulfill his mission. Because you know what's way easier than fulfilling the mission that God has for your life? Just taking care of yourself. Fulfilling the mission that God has for your life will be one of the most difficult things you'll ever do. But it is the only thing you do that is worthy of your life. So Jesus carries on. He says, stay here. Keep watch with me. And he went out a little further and he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. He says, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. So please take this cup of suffering away from me. I want your will to be done. Now wait. He says, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I don't want to do this, God. I don't want to do Father, I don't want to do this because this is going to be terrible, terrible, terrible. Please, if there's any other way, take this away from me. But we have such a compelling vision for this mission that we know it's the only hope of the world. Your will be done, not mine. Here's a question for you. What is your compelling inward vision? What is it that compels you, the vision for your life that allows you to come to places where your selfishness and your pride and everything that's in you doesn't want to do it, but you actually come to the point of going, no, I have such a compelling vision from God that God, no, not my will, but your will be done. I've had the compelling Jesus vision before, but you know what I've noticed in my life is it gets blurry and I get distracted and I forget it. 
And then you know what seems like a pretty compelling vision? Convenience and ease and money and fame and pleasure and just taking care of myself. Like, 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 like I said a couple weeks ago when I preached, like everything worthy of your life, it, 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 it's an uphill battle. And there's been times when I've been really focused on this compelling vision to, to, to do what God's called me to do and to be who God's called me to be and, and walk with Jesus. And there's times where it's kind of like, that gets tiring and it's tough to care about people and it's really tough to love people and they're tough to forgive and this is kind of getting tiring. And you know what sounds good? Watching TV, taking care of myself, right? And the world doesn't help us because if you look around the world, right, the most compelling visions they give us is buy new stuff, have great stuff, be famous, be beautiful, be young, take it easy, find things that make your life more convenient. Right? It's like you think about it, it's like if you listen to what the world will tell you, it's like it's tough not to be brought into these things. Like for me, like, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind having a boat, right? Maybe a truck to pull it. Maybe a Yeti 110, you know, ice down with some silver bullets. You know what I mean? I mean, money. I mean, you can't, you know, buy everything, but you can buy me a boat. <laughs> if you guys don't listen to country music, that wasn't very funny. But if you do, that was hilarious, okay? And listen, there's nothing wrong with boats or trucks. I like boats and trucks and Yeti 110s with, you know, I, that's fine. I'm not saying those things are bad, but here's what I am saying. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, if the vision of your life, if the compelling vision and mission of your life is to get a boat and a truck and a Yeti 110 with silver bullets and spend the rest of your life doing it, it might be fun for a while, but my friend, listen to me. That is so below the value and worth of your life. But guess what? You can pursue it and you can waste your life doing it. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. If you say, Jesus, compel my life with a vision for your mission, you know what might actually still be on the mission of God's life for you? A boat and a truck and a Yeti 110. Except it won't be just for you. It will be to be used on mission to love other people. So you have this mission, right? So you need a message. And, and uh, a message is, is, is defined as this. Mike Breen says this. Your, our message is communicating outwardly what you have experienced inwardly so that others can receive it transformationally. A multiplication message is communicating outwardly what you've experienced inwardly so that others can receive it transformationally. And here's the deal. Here's what I think about Christianity right now in America and basically globally is we need a, we need a new message. Like we could use a new PR firm. And the problem though is that we are the PR firm, right? And the message that the world gets often about what we're about is not helping. It's not necessarily a message that, that when people hear it, they go, oh, you've experienced that outwardly. And when I receive that, it transforms me. And I had a, I had a, a run in this week and I, past couple of services, I, I go back and forth with a tell a story, but change the names of the innocent to protect them, right? So I had a, a run-in with, with, with a little bit of a Christian message that kind of messed with me this week. I had an opportunity to do a radio interview about pub theology with a, with a Christian radio station. 
And they set up the interview for Friday morning and they said, hey, here's the deal. We're going to call you and we want to hear about pup theology, maybe some of the, the pushback you've gotten about it. And then we're probably going to open it up for listeners to, to call in and, and ask you questions. I was like, great. Sounds like an awesome deal. Can't wait. And they're like, well, I mean, don't worry about it. I mean, we'll tell people to be nice to you. Wait a second. So Thursday morning, I'm going to spend two hours on the Smiley Morning Show, like the number one pop secular station in Indy. And I'm going to be there as Pastor Darren, the Christian guy that's coming in for people to call in if they have any kind of issues. And we'll try to help them with some like wisdom and biblical stuff. And in four years of being on the Smiley Morning Show, at no point has Smiley or anybody on the show had to tell the audience of a million people or so in in Indiana, like, hey, the Christian pastor guy is going to be on on Thursday. Y'all be nice to him. But the one time that the Christian radio station calls me and says, we'd like to interview you, Pastor Darren, the missionary guy that reaches people in bars in Indiana, right, is they have to tell their Christian audience, hey, Christian audience, when you call into our Christian show to talk to you, the Christian missionary, would you Christians just be nice to the other Christian? And the message that I started to get was this. Maybe you should be ashamed of what you do. Maybe there's a problem with you. Maybe God doesn't like what you're about. Maybe you have a problem. And see, I am a follower of Jesus trying to go forward on the mission of Jesus. But the message I received from this Christian community was there's something wrong. Or at least there could be. And I thought to myself, if I'm a missionary for Jesus Christ, and that's the message I'm receiving from this Christian organization, what does a really good, notorious pagan sinner have to think about their life as they try to get close to Christian people around them? What is the message that they're receiving from us? But see, when we have actually been compelled and changed and transformed by the love of Jesus and we go and say, God, I need to be compelled by a vision that you have for a mission for my life. And I want to bring the the, the change that you brought to me and allow that to be accessible to other people. This is what I've experienced about how awesome Jesus is. People can receive that and be transformed by it. It's what we're seeing right here at Mercy Road with my buddy, Rich Abbott. Right? Rich is right over here. Hi, Rich. How you doing, buddy? I love this guy right here. And if you guys noticed the past year, basically my sermons are uh, missional stuff with Jesus, story about Rich. That's basically the outline. So I just start there. I just start my first point, Jesus stuff, story about Rich, Jesus stuff, you know, closing. That's basically it. Wraps it up. A couple years ago, Rich came to church. Pretty hopeless place. Not a lot of friends. Lost his job. Girlfriend dumped him. Bad week. Was lonely. He had one love, wrestling. He came to church, started coming to pub theology, heard about Jesus' love, gave his life to Jesus, scheduled his baptism. Huge storm came through, right, Rich? Huge storm comes through, trees falling on roads, power goes out at church, tons of excuses to turn around and go home and not get baptized. Rich drives through trees and whatever and gets baptized with no electricity in the church. 
gets discipled and realizes, you know what? Here's the deal. There's a mission that God's given us. And I have a message. And my message is this, is that even in the darkest place in your life, Jesus loves you. And if you follow him, he'll actually take the things you love most and give you an opportunity to multiply your life in the life of other people. And so Rich has followed that. And that message is compelling. And he has a mission called Wrestling Theology. And this has continued on and on and on for years. And guess what's getting ready to happen on September 30th, right in this room? His mission, which is Jesus's mission for people that love wrestling and the message that, listen, I don't care where you are or what you're into, Jesus loves you and can give you friendship and companionship and actually a mission. We're going to move all of these chairs out and set up a wrestling ring right here on Mercy Road. And we're going to have a wrestling event for people that need to know about Jesus. Huh? Yeah. Amazing. And in the middle of this, you know, secular, just anybody from the, anybody can come and watch these dudes, right? It it was a little bit weird. Josh and I were like, he was a little, we were going to have like the whole, uh, the flyer up here, which you can get out there. And I had it, but uh, like Josh was like, I'm a little concerned. There's like five half naked dudes on this thing. I don't know if we can put it up on the screen. It's, It's a little aggressive, right? But anyway, in the middle of this event, Rich is going to get up in the middle of the ring and share the message of Jesus. You know what would be so much easier for Rich to do? Just stay home and watch wrestling by himself. Last week, the bar they've been at on Monday nights to have this viewing party where he's got like 25 people coming to find community and love and acceptance and watching Monday Night Raw. The bar closed. So now he's scrounging around trying to figure out what bar is going to go. But you know what? God's got it figured out and he knows that. Why does Rich know that? Because he's walked for years now on mission with Jesus. And he's seen with pub theology that God just does junk. So you know what? God's just going to do stuff because he's going to do stuff because he has a mission and he has a message. But it would be so much easier for him to not to figure all that stuff out, to not try to bootstrap the money to bring in these wrestlers and figure out how he's going to make this thing happen. But he's compelled by the inner mission that he has to multiply his life into other people because the message of what Jesus has done for him is giving his life meaning. And guess what's going to happen one day? Rich is going to die, just like you. And he's going to get to heaven. And Jesus is going to say, hey, Rich, remember when you just had the passion for wrestling, but you decided to put your whole life behind a mission of reaching people? You thought you were just doing that. But guess what? You multiplied your life over. So just turn around and look at the multitude of people that now know Jesus because you decided to take wrestling and give it a mission. Right. Yeah. So what about you? What's your story? What's your message? What's your mission? Whatever it is, it needs to follow the method of Jesus. Mark chapter 16 ends like this. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples after his resurrection. And as they were eating together, he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had said they saw him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Never doubt 
that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Margaret Mead. So here's how this Jesus movement happened. The method of it is multiplication. It starts in about 30 AD as Jesus comes and he calls 12 to him. Those 12 multiply their life into others and it grows to about 120. Those 120 are there in the upper room as Jesus goes into heaven and he says, go back and wait and pray and I will send the Holy Spirit And as I send the Holy Spirit, I'm going to actually multiply my life into your life so it can multiply into the lives of others and we're going to change the world. And so that day, there's about 120 in the upper room. And guess what happens? The day of Pentecost takes place and the church grows from about 120 to about 3,000. Over the next about 30 years, what happens is that's multiplied again and again and again as disciples make disciples that know how to make disciples. And these little house churches plant other churches that plant other churches and it begins to multiply and multiply and multiply. And back in about 78, or so, what we have is a, is a growing movement of about 25,000 Christians. And then what happens as the, 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 the wheel of multiplication begins to really gain speed is you skip forward until about 300 AD. And for those next 200 years, the disciples in this, this movement of Jesus Christ, they don't have the Bible, okay? Because they don't have, it doesn't get canonized till the 300s. They don't have church buildings because it's illegal to actually have a church building. They don't have Christian universities. They don't have Christian radio or TV. They don't have Christian books. They don't have cars. They don't have airplanes. They don't have the internet. They don't have anything that you and I would strategically think we would have to have to actually see the known world changed. But what they had is a mission and they had a message and they had a method of multiplying their life over and over and over again. And by 300 AD, the church had grown from 25,000 to over 25 million Christians. They made up about 50% of the known world at that point. Because you see, when you have a small group of thoughtful, committed people, they can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that has ever changed the world. What I love about Mercy Road is it's dedicated and it has a vision of multiplication. The desire is to see disciples learn to be people who make disciples. The idea is that Outpost would be a place where we actually... pull out of the greatness that God has placed in every single one of you and give you a mission to build a community around that mission to go forward and see that multiplied. It's what many of the outposts that launched just a few weeks ago are doing. It's what Rich is doing. By the way, you can buy tickets to the event in the, in the lobby. You should do so. Bring some people that don't know Jesus but might like wrestling. And this church has a, a vision to plant more churches. We're just planting Hope City Church. We're dedicated to multiplication. But let me help you. I just want to stretch as we close it. I want you to stretch your imagination and stretch for you to understand the need for us to multiply. Every local church has a multiplication factor of about 10, meaning that its average attendance, if you times it by 10, is about the reach that each church can have to influence in a community. So right now there's about a thousand people at Mercer Road, which is mind blowing because if you remember about this time last year, we were in a small building down the street and I preached a sermon and said this, there's about 400 people of this church. And soon we're going to move down the street to a bigger building and there are going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that show up to call this place home. And the challenge that day was, are you in to actually begin to disciple and love and welcome people that will find this their home? Now we have a thousand people here. And the question is the same. Are we ready and dedicated to love and to disciple the people that God is bringing 
to this family. But right now there's a thousand people, so times that by 10, I failed math twice in college, I've told you that before, so I may need some help on this one, all right? But I think 1,000 times 10 is 10,000, correct? So right now, Mercy Road can impact roughly 10,000 people in our community by your life being multiplied into other people's lives. If we said that the only hope for our city, the Indianapolis could become the most loving, the most hopeful, the most risk-taking and faith-driven, forgiving, generous, wonderful place to be, that the kingdom of God would be here on earth as it is in heaven, and that is our mission from Jesus, that means there are roughly 2 million people in the city in the surrounding areas. That means that what we would have to do to actually be able to, to, to saturate and make that kind of impact is we would have to plant 199 more churches because we just planted Hope City. And I know that we're not the only church in Indianapolis doing this, so, so we might not have to do that many, but I just want you to get your imaginations and maybe stretch your prayer vision of what we are actually doing and what could actually happen in our city. If we said, I am giving my life to the mission of multiplication that Jesus has given us, that we would put our resources and our time and our effort to say, great, we planted Hope City Church. That's number one. Let's get started on number 198, 197, 196, 195. Because my friends... I don't care what happens in November. I don't care what happens on CNN or Fox News. I don't care what happens at a G8 summit. I don't care what the UN does. I don't care what Syria does. I don't care what Germany or Russia does. Because whatever they do has no power to change the human heart. And eventually whatever legislation or laws or rules are passed or treaties are done, they will be undone and ruined by human greed and pride and selfishness. The only hope our world has is Jesus. And that the people who have been transformed by his mission and his message would give their life to the method of reproducing and multiplying their life in others. And if that keeps happening, friends, the world will change. Your world will change. Your family will change. Your neighborhood will change. Your school, your work, this church, this city, this country, this continent. Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your mission. Thank you for the message you've given us. And God, I just pray today, if we're here and um, we're not living with a compelling vision, um, God, I pray that the devil would not be able to bring any kind of guilt or shame for that. That's not welcome here. I pray that what would be met is an overwhelming revelation of your love and that any action momentum taken by anybody in this room or online right now would be an action that's compelled by love. That you would give us a new vision for your love for us and for this world that you found worthy of your life and that we would join you and commit ourselves to your message of love and of faith and of hope and forgiveness and reconciliation and purpose and peace and passion 
And as we move forward to embrace your methodology, the multiplication, that we wouldn't live with despair of political parties or treaties or news feeds, that we would be filled with the hope that as your love changes people one by one by one, as that multiplies out, the absolute guaranteed result is the change of human history. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.